Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. I hope if you're one of the people in the world that celebrates Christmas, your turkey has gone down and you've had a lovely uh, family get-together with friends and uh, really have enjoyed the last day or two. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you've had a a lovely, peaceful time of it, uh, possibly at least being away from work. And um, as I just uh, allow people to chat here in the show, we will get on, but I want to make a, a, a very clear that the topic that we're doing today, which is Doctor Who, the Christmas special for 2010, A Christmas Carol, it will be full of spoilers if you haven't seen the episode. So from now on, uh, we'll do a few little brief items after I've introduced everybody, and uh, it will be spoiler content from then on. And uh, I'm just going to ask Tim if you can self-mute, Tim. I'm just getting some feedback. Okay, well, let's uh, say hello to um, Mr. Mike randolph Hi, Mike. Hello, I'm calling in from a very snowy western North Carolina where it's, we've had at least six inches and at least four more are on the way for the rest of the, of the day. Snow, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it always seems to snow on these things. And uh, hello to Mr. Darth Skeptical. See, drums for Christmas. Hello. Oh, well done. The drums are back. The drummer boy is back. And Mr. Charlie P79 is with us. Hello, Dave. Good to have you with us. And uh, if Tim can unmute yourself, we'll go to Tim next. Hi, Tim. Hello, Dave. Good to have you with us, and uh, just let me congratulate you here now on your 50th episode of uh, Tim's Take On. Thanks for playing those little uh, bits, one we sent from the Colton Collective, and uh, here's the next 50 shows. That's all right, Dave. Okay, and we've also got on microphone, I voted for Saxon. Hi. Hello, Collective. I just wanted to add my vote for uh, talking about the uh, season uh, series six uh, trailer at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
for those just listening to the recording, before we actually started the recording, we had a little debate of whether we were just going to stick to the episode, the Christmas special of Christmas Carol, or should we take in the topic of discussion, uh, the little trailer that was shown at the end of it. Um, and I'm assuming that, of course, was the same one shown in on BBC America as was here in the UK. But we it was. Be, it was, was it? Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's all the people on mic, so let's see. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Hi, and under the current silence today, we've got uh, Cybob joining us again. Hi, Cybob. Uh, we've got Merlin joining us. Glad to have you here. We've got Jedi Justice and Guest 11. You're almost welcome to this uh, very Christmassy episode of the Cult and Collective Podcast, episode 78. And um, we're only going to have a very brief section on news because we want to get to that topic. And we've got two people in the room with news, and we'll go to Tim first. Uh, well, the main news on the, the official website in recent days has been the launch, slightly earlier than they originally said, of the uh, fourth and final for this year, Doctor the Adventure Game. It's called Shadows of the Vasta Narada. It's set entirely underwater, and that's about all I can tell you about it, because I've installed it on two computers so far, but it being Christmas... Uh, I'm rather busy, so I haven't had time to play it yet. Because with all these things, you need to kind of like sit down, cut yourself off, and give yourself an hour at least to sort of get into it. But uh, I'll put a link in chat to uh, where it can be found on the official website, and it may or may not be available to our friends outside the UK. We've not really heard uh, one way or the other. Uh, the other brief thing I'll mention is something that uh, someone posted to Twitter last night, and that was uh, that... Uh, well, we'll get on to this when we actually review the episode, so I'll just put this in chat for now so people can read it. And that's that uh, Marilyn Monroe's uh, Wikipedia entry was edited last night, so I'll just put it up because it has been changed back again, but that is how it looked last night. <laughs> I'll say no more. It's there for people to read. It's, that will take you but ten seconds to read what's different. Right. I had a very. I downloaded the game and had a quick look at it, but I'm not really t- good on these. But one of my Facebook friends, and forgive me for not remembering the name just off the top of my head now, said um, that was quite good. Completed it in 45 minutes. But they're obviously a bit of a game. I haven't whiz. completed any of them yet. <laughs> I, I, no. I get so far with 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 the three that has been so far. And I hit a total brick wall with them, and I just say, well, it looks very nice, but I can't go any further with it. I'll wait for the next one. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very much like that. Okay, we'll move along, and we've got Darth with some news as well. Hi, Darth. Hello, sir. Yeah, a couple of bits of uh, Christmas Carol-related news. Um, first off, overnight ratings were about 10.3 million, which is pretty good for the UK showing. We, of course, don't have the ratings for the BBC America um, showing because uh, they don't come out in an overnight fashion so much. Um, uh, along with this, we have this last week the announcement from Silver Screen, which is the more or less 
official label of Doctor Who uh, in audio that we're going to have a special soundtrack album in February. No exact date yet, but in February, there will be a soundtrack for just Doctor Who, A Christmas Carol. It's the first time that we've had a soundtrack for just a single episode since the TV movie. Right. Uh, and indeed, I saw the confidential that they showed here in the UK and uh, the the meticulous way in which they, they do the recording. Of course, it's the BBC Welsh Orchestra and Catherine Jenkins as well. And uh, the Murray Gold, there's a little story about Murray. I won't tell you too much about it, but basically, um, you know, they suddenly said, you, you, know, you have read the script. You do know there's a new song in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's Christmas. They said, yeah, but. You know, we're filming it in July or something. We're and filming it like, in three weeks was the exact word. Well, well done. But they wanted it before then because they wanted to do a run-through mm. or something, didn't they? So you basically had to do it in about three or four days, I think. Um, and she, she, she recorded a, a demo of what he'd written. And in his his words, uh, her demo recordings are better than most people's final recordings. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. And... Um, Although Mr. Benjamin Elliott will be joining us later, he's not with us at this particular moment. Uh, he sends his apologies for that, but he will be joining us. I should add in, also, we've got apologies from my main co-host, uh, Ian, the Sixth Doctor. He's not been able to see uh, this episode yet, and so obviously doesn't want to come on, as I said right at the top of the show. Um, this will be all spoilerish uh, from here on. But uh, just in case you come in, uh, you listen to this and think, I wish I was on that show. Let's hear from Andy about how to join. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, well, um, we're going to um, get straight on to this show, but uh, let me just mention, although if you're listening to this recording later, it will probably be too late for you to do anything about it, uh, we will be followed at 5 p.m. Uh, British, um, sorry, Eastern Standard Time uh, by Doctor Who Podshock. That's their live edition that they do on Torchu, and the show ID for that is two double three five eight so that will be mr lewis trapani having a live uh, recording at 5 p.m and it may well be that our show is done dusted and up before then but please um if you've missed the actual live show i'm sure lewis will be putting it up on the itunes feed uh, shortly afterwards okay well um i'm just going to play as uh, a little clip to start us into the show and then I'm going to read a couple of details from the wiki page that I've uh, put in the text chat. And um, let's get moving. So here we are. Christmas is cancelled. 
level, keep a level. Then we walk the court and see. What is that? Stop. Clouds? What kind of clouds? Are you sending a distress signal? Ah, it's not me. Who's in the honeymoon suite? Who the hell are you? Look, it's a friend of mine, okay? And he can help us. He'll come. And what are you wearing? <laughs> that doesn't matter. Are you from the honeymoon suite? Oh, shut up. Oh, David! The light's not flashing. Does that mean he's coming? Honeymoon suite? Oh. Oh, clothes. Um, it is just a bit of fun. Really? Shut up! Send the lost name. We'll send the home. So, does this mean he's coming, or does it mean I need to chase the pole? Oh, come! Get off this cup! Right, well, he's cutting it kind of fine. If we can't stabilize the orbit, we're finished. The sun is a little I am flying blind. Come on, Doctor, come on. It's that become alongside us. Something small like a shuttle. Get Bob! Incoming message. In front of the other ship. On tree. What does that mean? Christmas. And that should start us off to a happy and lively debate about it. Let me just give some basic facts out. Director Toby Hayes, of course, written by uh, producer and uh, show director Stephen Moffat, had some really great stars in it with uh, Sir Michael Gambon uh, playing the lead role of Kazakh. I can't pronounce his name, but never mind. Uh, Catherine Jenkins, of course, playing Abigail um, and uh, the young uh, boy played by Lawrence Belcher. I think that's probably the main cast. I thought it was somewhat of an actual companion-like episode, this. But uh, I want to just get a general feeling around the room of what uh, the people here thought about the episode as a whole. And um, since Mike Randall-Thor is our third co-host on all the Colton Collectives, that I hope you've been listening to the commentary episodes that we've been doing... Um, Mike, do you want to just give a, an initial thought on the episode and um, take it from there? Sure. I it was definitely different from anything that Davies wrote for the for his Christmas specials. It was a it was a nice change from what was becoming routine for you know the Davies Christmas specials. I I I I've seen this episode twice so far, but and uh, on initial viewing, I liked it. There was. There were a few plot holes that I noticed, but overall, I liked the episode. Uh, that's my initial thought. Okay, well, let's go quickly around the room then. Darth, can you give a brief initial thought? My thought <laughs> for the first time in a long time, I love the Muffin script for reservation. And I'm afraid you broke up there, at least at my I end. Really, mine too. Oh, right. Well, um, I don't know if it'll be any better if I just say it again. But uh, yeah, um, my initial thought is just that for the first time in a very long time, I really unreservedly liked a Stephen Moffat script. And we heard that entirely. Very good. Okay, uh, let's see what Charlie thought. Initial thoughts. Um. I, it's just feeling overwhelmed by it. Just I, I've watched it three times already, and it's, it's it's still one of those things where it's like, oh, I have I don't, I don't know if I've gotten it all in or not, but um, I liked it. I mean, it's just, it's, if I had to go with the gut reaction, sure. Um, 
I don't know if it's my favorite Christmas special, but again, you know, like Mike said, it's different. Okay, let's go to Tim. Uh, well, I liked it, but um, I, th- I think the the biggest problem with the Christmas special kind of reared its head with this one, and that's that there's such a gap between the end of a season and a Christmas special that you build up a, a level of expectation for what you expect it to be. And um, I think what I wrote last night was uh, I expected something happier. And it has a heartwarming ending, but... Um, it's growing on me. I've watched it twice now, and when I watched it again a few minutes ago, I, I definitely liked it more than I did last night. But um, it's not a it's it's not a bad episode, but it's it's so entirely different to anything RTD's brought us that uh, I, I um, it's a case of not quite knowing how to take it really. Well, uh, just one thing I just said about that is, though, though it did have a happy ending, it only had a happy ending because they cheated, because they didn't show the fact that the poor girl would die straight afterwards. But never mind. Yeah, but we still uh, knew. Yeah, possibly. You anyway, to, you don't have to show her this to know it happens. No, but what I mean, that would have been a downer. That's why I didn't show that at the end. So what I'm saying is, it wouldn't have been a happy ending if they'd followed the story through to its its logical climax. But anyway, that's I'll, I'll make my point in a minute. Let's go to I Voted Saxon. Uh, yes. Initial I, thoughts? Uh, I liked it. There were some things that bothered me. Uh, I don't think there has to be a Christmas sacrifice every year. You know. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see, you know, one of these... Christmas specials that doesn't have a beautiful woman dying at the end in some form or another. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what, I, what I'll do now, this I think it's only me on audio, so what I, I'm just going to play another, the second clip, and then I'll just and, give my initial, okay. go on, sorry. I was just going to mention that over in chat, we've got uh, Merlin saying that, as he said, that at the beginning, apart from the die job on, this, on Catherine, for Catherine Jenkins, uh, he, he bloody loved the episode. He was reminded of more of the movie Frequency than A Christmas Carol. And as he just put in, he wants a, sh- he wants a shark rickshaw ride. And I quite agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good points. So certainly about the, the frequency. Let me play a little clip and then I'll just give my initial thoughts. On every world, wherever people are, in the deepest part of the winter, at the exact midpoint, everybody stops and turns and hugs, as if to say, well done. Well done, everyone. We're halfway out of the dark. Back on Earth, we call this Christmas or the winter solstice. On this world, the first settlers called it the Crystal Feast. You know what I call it? I call it expecting something for nothing. Right, well, my initial thoughts were um, I admired the storytelling, I admired the, the acting and casting 
loved uh, Kathleen Jenkins uh, singing. Um, thought the young boy actor was brilliant. It was absolutely marvellous to have uh, Michael Gambon in it. Um, but uh, I was appreci- appreciating the story rather than really enjoying it. Again, like Mike and uh, others, Tim, I've seen it a couple of times now, and with the audio, I've gone through the audio about four times, and also I watched Confidential. So I really do feel as though it was a very well-crafted Christmas programme. But apart from... I loved one scene, and that was the scene where the projector started playing with the sleeping man, and um, then the doctor uh, does this switchback where he appears at the boys' room. I love that 15-minute section. I thought that was brilliant. Um, but I, I didn't like, um, I must admit, I didn't like the rickshaw thing at all. Funnily enough, my son, who's home for Christmas, was watching it. And at the end, I thought he would be like me, that he would sort of be a bit funny about the, like me, not liking those things. But he says, no, he liked it. He really enjoyed it. So I said, well, what's the difference between the, some of the silly things in this episode and some of the silly things in uh, Voyage of the Damned? And he said, well, the difference is that in, in Voyage of the Damned, it's the writer getting a silly story idea. With the Doctor pulling the shark, that's the Doctor being the Doctor and having a silly moment. So basically, that's the Doctor being silly uh, rather than it being a silly script, and that he could quite enjoy being a Christmas episode. So he actually uh, loved it. I thought he wouldn't particularly like it, but uh, he did. So I was Im- impressed by the quality of it, uh, and I watched it, but um, I think I, 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 I've said it twice down to I appreciated it rather than vastly enjoyed it. So... Um, that was it. Anybody want to come back on those initial remarks that they gave? Should we go back in order, Mike? Expanding on what I said before, well, it was. I like the idea of of the planet. And there's just not just the planet, but just Moffat's take on a Christmas Carol and blending that towards you know what Doctor, what a Doctor Who story would be, and um, I like how. The, Towards the beginning of the episode, when the doctor first saw the, the fish floating around the, the street lamp, and he started remember, remembering, he heard the Christmas Carol, and he started remembering the story Christmas Carol. And it, this is something that that's also referred to in the Confidential that the doctor knows the story that Dickens wrote. He he knows Charles Dickens' story. Of course, going back to the the Unquiet Dead, we find that the doctor is a huge Charles Dickens fan, and the doctor willingly takes up the role of the ghost of Christmas past, which was. Which was rather good. I like that. And hmm. the, the, yeah. only, the, the only the, the only other thing I'll say now, I'll save this for la- the next for later. But um, I like the the back and forth that the, the doctor did, just rewriting oh, yeah. the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I mean, I like the idea of the fish floating in that uh, crystal fog. Uh, and I love the line he said, you know, that, oh, I love going to new planets because you see these fabulous new things. I mean, I didn't think that was silly. Um, it was just, in fact, I've got a feeling that if this hadn't been a Christmas story, <laughs> I'd have enjoyed it even more if it had just been based on a strange and wonderful planet that they'd landed on. But uh, that's probably just me. Uh, Darth, do you want to expand on your initial thoughts? 
Um, or just take them in a slightly different direction. Yeah, we should. Look at looking looking away from the narrative for the moment, I'll, and I'll come back to the narrative later. But what's really important and strikes me about this episode is that it's the you know debut of two very important people in the backstage uh, arena. One of them, of course, is um, Barbara Kidd, who is debuting for BBC Wales Doctor Who, but of course, as we know had been a costume designer um, back in the Pertwee and, and um, Baker eras. But I just thought her costuming for this was out of the park. I mean, seriously, go back and look at just the costumes. They are amazing. Um, and then you had on her boss, essentially, sort of, would be uh, Matthew Pickwood, who's the new production designer taking over from Ed Thomas. And he, too, I thought, brought a unique vision. I mean, this episode does not look like any other episode of Doctor Who that we've had to date. It it really, the steampunk thing, the um, the integrated design of all of the uh, circular windows, um, the fact that it, it does blend into a, as we find out in Confidential, uh, an industrial park, um, just really innovative, I think, production design, and I mean, that's not at all to slack, uh, or uh, to slag off on Edward Thomas, but it is comforting to me after having Edward Thomas guide the vision of Doctor Who since Rose, to know that, wow, this guy that they've got is going to be just fine. So I just think, you know, the visual look of this thing, combined, of course, with the return of uh, Stefan Pearson and Toby Haynes from the... Um, finale last year, or this year, of Series 5. Man, those four people working together created a visual look that was simply stunning. Right. Leave now, it there for not, well, let me just be naughty with sure. you for a minute. Of course. Did you, did you not think that that opening street scene was a little bit reminiscent of The Beast Below and the opening street scene in that, without, of course, all the bunting? No. When you not. said it hadn't been shown before. I didn't think that it was, um, but that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, I thought I, th- I thought the attention to these, and again, um, when and here's, the di- the, here's the difference, of course. And you know, you're you're talking about my least favorite episode of Doctor Who ever. I know that's why. Um, just about or of BBC Wales Doctor Who. Um, but the, the difference is that Beast Below was trying to deliberately evoke um, familiar British settings. So it's really just the recreation of Britain. This wasn't the recreation of Britain. I mean, it, it it kind of had a Victorian vibe about it, but the Victorian vibe came from the natural environment. It came from the consequence of, you know, there being ships that had landed and them just cannibalizing the ships, and it just it just happened to form like that. I think it's it's much more specific to an era. It's very much more steampunk than anything in Beast Below, because Beast Below, again, Beast Below is more vaguely 1950s, 19, you know, around the time of the coronation. It's that, Beast Below looks a lot like um, uh, the Mark Gatiss episode, Idiot's Lantern, than it looks like um, A Christmas Carol. Yeah, it was just with the, like, the wooden street barrels outside selling cheese and things. It was sort of like, um, um, that 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 look about it, but um, uh, no, well, the, I mean, the, the not Victoria, every market is fo- created alike. Yeah. I would say, yeah, the the crystal uh, smog, well, I said smog, the um, the, the 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 fish swimming gave it that mm. sort of Victorian look. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it was stylish, uh, Charlie. Um, yeah, I just say, I, yeah, it's, it's a it's a visual treat. You know, even things like um, the the imagery of the whole that whole bit at the um, near the end with the um, the holographic uh, Christmas carol carolers and the um, and the um, just the design of it. You know, it's like the you know we got we have a mix of you know we have the, proje the projector and the and the, the old timey phones and the um, and the the, um, the control room and everything like that was good and um, I was I was I was thinking um, another thing we got we got to see Arthur Darvill's name in the credits which is kind of sort of one of those things that we were kind of hoping we were going to see and we actually got him and I thought oh that was nice even though Rory's hardly in it but it was it was a nice nice um, sort of you know maybe uh, in preview for season six. If I can pick you up on that for just a second, the thing that annoyed me about having Arthur Darvill's uh, name in the credits is that they didn't rescore it. And the, yeah. and the reason that that's significant, and I don't know if you noticed this looking in, in the, in the rest of Series 5, you have a, a lightning or a thunder sound, a thunderclap at the time that Matt Smith's name comes up and another thunderclap at the time that Amy's name comes up. But if you look at this episode listen very carefully, you'll see that that timing is all screwed up. You still have it for Matt Smith, but then the thunderclap happens after Amy, uh, after Karen Gillan's name comes up, and there isn't one at all for Arthur Darvill. So it feels to me very, you know, just barely thrown in there. I mean, it's nice to have it there, but it's not, it's not done with a lot of care. It's really yeah, rushed. Yeah, I thought the text was different. Wasn't it sort of a sparkling silver? I have gone yeah. back. I, I, I went to go back and look at that, and I don't think that it is actually any different. the The main thing is that Arthur Darvill's name comes up very, very close to where it switches to the red tunnel, and so his lettering in particular has the the red cast of the the other part of the time tunnel on the back of it. So it makes his, his stuff look very different to Matt Smith. But if you just look at Matt Smith's name and compare it side by side with Matt Smith's name, um, in, I don't, I, I compared it to, uh, what the hell? Uh, just, just an episode from series five. Um, Amy's choice was one I used. They look exactly the same. Ooh, it's really, it's really about the art. I thought it was going to be too. I thought it really was, and I really went back and looked at it, and it's it's not any different. Wow. I think uh, the thing that, 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 you, that threw me off, at least, is that Arthur has a, or Arthur Darvill has two R's in his name, or three R's in his name, and <laughs> the R is um, there's only one other R before that in Karen's name, and the thing is that 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 R reveals that it's not the same font that's used for the words Doctor Who, and because there's so many R's, it makes it look like, oh, that's a weird-looking font. At least it did to me. Yeah, it definitely looks slightly different. I, I couldn't put my mm. finger on it, and I haven't rewatched the opening credits that often. But let's get back to Charlie. Go on, yes. Charlie. Um, I know. I think that's pretty much all I have to say. Peace for the eyes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, um, well I'll go to Tim in a minute, just but... Can you just go to I voted Saxon before you, Tim, because he's put something about uh, that text as well. What, what did you think uh, about the text? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean the text. I meant the uh, beginning of the... Um, uh, oh, uh, 
Oh, right, right. I was thinking you meant the text, because I thought it looked a bit glittery as though they, 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 they made like, but you were talking about the actual um, opening scene. The cold open, I think, yeah. Uh, In actual fact, though, the opening scene was um, the the the, the ultra modern spaceship, which of course was was nicely um, um, counterpointing the 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 steampunk of the planet, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I apologize. I meant uh, down on the planet during the uh, the opening narration. It right. the the people on the street. It reminded me of the uh, opening of the next Doctor. Okay. You know, a very Christmassy feel. Ah, righto. Okay, I'll just go to uh, Tim because we've skipped him, and then I'll welcome into the room Mr. Benjamin Elliott. So, Tim, uh, do you want to? Dave. Yeah. Uh, are we going to be going into more detail? Oh, a lot more. We're we're we're, we're nowhere. If you've uh, been on some of the other shows, we can we can go long. Okay. <laughs> But right. hopefully not that long tonight. No, I hope no. Um, I need to. Well, I, I I can't remember exactly what you said, Dave, about the the way you thought of the story at the time. That you kind of hit the nail on the head with how I thought about it. I think. I, I thought it was. I, I was impressed by it, but not necessarily enjoying mm. it. Uh, Except that I, I scene thought, where he jumped into the film. I thought that was brilliantly done, and he I, came back for I the combination. Was, I think it was a bit of a mixture for me because. I always love Doctor Who when they use time travel, and at yeah. times it's not used enough. Exactly. And when Moffat uses it, uh, such as in the 11th hour and in this story, he really embraces the possibilities of it. And so you've got this nice sequence near the beginning of the episode where uh, the old... Uh, now, I'm tr- going to try and pronounce his name. I think it's oh, good Kra- Kras- Krasdan... Is it Krasdan or Kazran? Kazran Sardig, I think. Kazran. Kazran. I'll say it a few times. Kazran. Anyway, the, the, the old Kazran is watching this um, sort of um, video diary uh, that the Doctor has found, and he, he's watching it, and he's saying, where did you find this? And the Doctor says, oh, it was on an old disc, but I had to, like, restore it and do jiggery-pokery to get it to play. And so he sat there watching what was meant to just be some kind of like secret video diary a shot when he was like about 10 or something and uh and the doctor disappears off and then appears in the video diary and so you, you get this a, a kind of nice nice twist on the whole time travel thing because he, he he looks at him and he says well uh you're going to be getting new memories but don't worry about that <laughs> Yeah. He's kind of rewriting the guy's past because he's this horrible, mean, miserly character in the present. And he thinks, oh, well, if he changes him in the past, he'll become a nicer person. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, he's good like that. I mean, like, the, the, the technique he used was a very complex science technique and a paperclip. He likes that just a position mm. of, uh, you know... I, I think my other t- favourite time travel moment came later on where they're trying to get through a door... And the doctor stood there going, well, I can't put the wrong combination in because this place is full of alarms and stuff Stuff will go wrong. And he, he turns to the, the boy and he says, oh, do you know the combination? He says, no, no I'll, he says, I'll be t- my father tells me I'll be told when I'm old enough. And and Kazran in present days just stood there going, seven, whatever it was, seven nine two or seven three two or something. So the text, going, I think, yeah. Seven two five eight. Thank you, Charlie P. 
and he's going seven two five eight seven two five, and of course he can't be heard because they're in different time zones. But if he repeats it enough times, the doctor just thinks, "I'll dive forward again in the TARDIS." And he goes, "Ah, seven two five eight, thanks very much," and just disappears back again. <laughs> Which I thought that that's that's exactly how you'd use time travel storytelling wise if you've got a character that has got perfect control over a time machine and can do these precise jumps to precise moments in time. I mean, I'm 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 trying to think what I didn't like about this story and um for me it has to probably come back to the steampunk element because uh I've got I've got nothing against steampunk as such, it's just not my thing. I've got into a steampunk as I I enjoy I enjoy enjoying the aesthetic of steampunk sort of through their eyes to an extent. Like, you can go to a, uh, a big exhibition in London and there'll be a gathering of steampunkers and there'll be some wonderful props exhibited that they've made and I can go, yes, it all looks very nice, but for me it's just not my thing in sci-fi. And so to to do a Doctor Who story where you're almost surrounded by it, it all looks very nice, but to to, to me it's not my particular favourite form of science fiction and I was watching the episode and going oh I like that ship that Amy and Rory are on, it's all lovely gleaming and albeit it's crashing but it was um, I remember when the first the, 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 the first full trailer for this came out and we saw shots of that ship and us as Doctor Who fans do what we do, we track down the best quality copy of the trailer we can find and we start frame by framing it and everyone was going, oh, that ship, it's very Star Trek. Look at the uniforms, look at the set design, all this, that, and the other. And, well, I um, thought the uniforms and, and set design were a bit more Space 1999. But, uh, um, well, I wouldn't know, because yeah. I've never been able to get into Space 1999. <laughs> oh, right. okay. Another thing that's not remotely my thing. Right, but, I'll um, put Rogers, somebody's written, yeah. Yeah, I thought that, when I thought about the ship, I was thinking, well, that feels like the Enterprise have crossed with the Searcher from the second season of Buck Rogers, which was the first, as I recall, The Searcher was the first real um, sci-fi spaceship I saw on television. Like, Buck Rogers mm. was the first sci-fi show I saw as a kid, years before I heard of Who. It's like, ah, oh, someone's taking elements from that and elements from Enterprise Next Generation. My brother noticed that the one guy, his, the, guy the thing he has on his face didn't, looked somewhat similar to Geordie LaForge's yes, Kaiser. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and they yeah, all have the Star really... Trek ability, to, you know, the Star Trek crashing angles down. <laughs> I mean, d- despite my negativity about the steampunk element, the the one thing I came away from with this episode was the whole thing was wonderfully well designed, from the sort of cryogenic chambers with all the mist around to um, Kazran's, um, abode to the the ship. Everything was wonderfully well thought out. Uh, you could um, believe in this world that they'd um, created. But um, okay. seeing as Benjamin's on voice now, we should um, hear what you thought of the episode. I think. Yeah, I was going to welcome him in, but he's welcomed uh, anyway. Um, we we did a very brief section on news, so I'm assuming you're okay to go straight on with the thing. Uh, do you want to just give your initial thoughts at this point? Um, and then we'll get set back into the order. Uh, sure. It was uh, nice catching this one because I did manage to see the trailer for the spring season before I saw the episode, but 
because of the short lag time, I hadn't seen the episode first. I saw it on a large sized television with a group of people at a friend's house who had a big meeting. There, just a fun fun way to see it, and that's good. And I really hope the BBC America falls through, since it looks like they're planning to air the episodes on the same day as the UK for the 2011 episodes. I hope they pull through, and I hope that other networks join them. I'd like Space in Canada to be doing it. I'd like ABC Australia and Prime New Zealand to make a habit of showing them all within 24 hours. And just more and more of that so we can all have this collective experience. I think that would be really good if we can pull it off. Uh, Let me me stop you on that point because I've been meaning to ask you this for a long time, but you've not been here. Do you really believe that? I mean, for do you really believe that it's the best time for American viewing to put it on at 9 p.m. on Christmas Day? Well, I would have preferred 6 or 7 p.m. myself when that but even on Christmas Day itself. getting a kid's audience. But, I mean, isn't, isn't our goal not to get uniformity of, of <laughs> broadcasting, but to get the biggest ratings? And I is say, it's difficult well, to watch it on Christmas Day, even in the U.K., with other commitments. Is this the actual best time that it could be put on in the United States? Well, obviously, the Christmas special, it's always arguable. The regular season, I don't think there'd be an argument. No, no, no. Christmas, I do think, I do think it's arguable. But the one, mm. the one positive was, and I think there probably should be more of an advertising campaign, but the one thing was, this was the television event on Christmas Day. If you were looking for something, if you were planning to watch something original on Christmas Day in the U.S., this was the only thing. And you were one of the 60% of the population that could actually get BBC America. Well, that's always going to be a problem unless we get the show onto a better network or get its distribution better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and of course, it'd be interesting yeah, like to... If you were airing it on Christmas night on CBS, then maybe... Um, if you're we were getting the show on CBS, then there'd be a question of when we could get a day that could get a really large audience. But um, right. I... I I'm sad to say we're not there. <laughs> uh, well, what I would say is when the figures come out for you know how how much was uh, watched on the you know uh, delayed viewing or by the BBC iPlayer or whatever. Which by the way, the BBC iPlayer just announced that uh, Do- the Doctor Who the Eleventh Hour uh, was the most downloaded program on the BBC iPlayer uh, this mm-hmm. last year. So I and mean, um, if go on. As long as BBC America is, was smart enough to air the show multiple times over a week or two, to use the fact that you have the cable method and to have multiple showings to get people to tune in at different times, as long as they did that, then the Christmas Day premiere would be perfectly fine. Of course, they're not doing that, which kind of throws a monkey wrench into it, but that's how you would make it work. If you were airing it a couple times this week and airing it at least one time uncut the week after New Year's so that the various audiences could tune in, you know, like HBO and other pay cable and other networks get the cumulative audiences, that's, that would be the best way for it to work. Okay, let's but. just take another break and uh, we'll have another clip. Mr. Sardik, we're only asking for one day. Just let her out for Christmas. She loves Christmas. Does she? Oh, does she? I see. Hello. Oh, wakey, wakey. It's Christmas. Cinnamon. 
I think she's a bit cool about the whole thing. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> she's frozen. She's what? Sorry? She's in the ice. She can't hear you. Oh, what a clever little boy. You must be so irritated. How much? Uh, it's, uh, 4,500 Gideons, sir. You took a loan of 4,500 Gideons. And little Miss Christmas is my security. We're not asking for her back. Just let her have one day. Let her have Christmas with us. Um, sir, it's the, uh, president. Tell him I'm busy. Now, where were we? Oh, yes. She's pretty, though, your daughter. Maybe I should keep her. She's not my daughter, sir. She's my sister. Sir, the, the president says there's a galaxy-class ship trapped in the cloud layer, and, well, we have to let it land. Or? Or crash, sir. Oh. Well, that's a kind of landing, isn't it? It's from Earth, sir, registering over 4,000 life forms on board. Oh. <laughs> Not if we wait a bit. <laughs> you can't just let it crash, sir. Says who? I'll get it here. Look, Petal, we already have a surface population. No more people allowed on this planet. I don't make the rules. Oh, no, hang on. I do. Marvellous uh, uh, voice he's got. I mean, it comes across. He's acting there brilliantly. Um, okay, uh, Mike, have I missed anything in text? Uh, we've got some a comment from, uh, what was it? Let's see here. Ben, uh, Benjamin Elliott, who's on who's on ch- chat, so he, on audio, so he can mention it. But... Um... Uh, Merlin talking about the the airing of the Christmas special at Christmas Day, the best time to watch it, not necessarily the best time to air it. So, yeah, everyone else has put something in, the, in text has, is also on audio. So, okay, and during the course of the show, we've had quite a number of new people come in. The most uh, latest is Mick the Ascended, and we've had a few guests come in. So, uh, thank you for that. There will be all spoilers. We're talking about the Doctor Who Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. Um, one thing I, I thought about this was that um, I was a little bit concerned at first that it was a 60-minute episode. And I know, um, uh, like with Benjamin, will say that uh, that's probably a good thing in, in the States. If it had been 64, 68 minutes, they may not have aired it in complete form the first time. But I think it did fairly well zip through. And uh, when I was going through the audio earlier, there, is, there, there must be at least five minutes of the uh, lovely Catherine Jenkins singing so it 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 felt um a full episode, but not overly rushed and yet but they didn't seem any padding, and yet there seemed to be time to breathe uh most notably of course uh, when we were hearing uh the the voice uh singing to the to the fish in the first place and uh, this is one thing where I must have to say I was glad that I hadn't watched many spoilers of this I wasn't really aware much about the fish in fact. Uh, we talked right at the beginning about the the release of the uh, latest Dot Two um, game, the you know the the Vashta Narada one, and uh, I was uh, saw the opening sequence of that, and that has a fish in it. And I'm thinking, well, what's that for? Uh, and of course, I think they revealed in the confidential that they call the uh, was it called Clive or Kevin or something the fish because they didn't want um, the news of that to um, to really leak out too much now admittedly the people in this room are not your typical uh, casual viewers of the show so maybe most of the people in the room were were fully aware of um, 
the starring role of the fish in this, but um, I wasn't, uh, and uh, and because of that, I think I enjoyed that aspect of it. Certainly, um, not the the rickshaw bit, but the actual the the fact that these fish were swimming in this uh, this crystal uh, fog or whatever you would call it. Okay, we're back to Mike then. Um, anything you want to just mention on the either the technical side or the the acting side are um, go in your own direction. Yeah. One thing I'll add to the to the whole technical side is the lighting in this episode was very well done. It was the, the just the, all the different shades of blue and the, the blue and gray and the the shades the colors that we got through the through the clouds and the and the just that beam from the from the from the machine cutting cutting through the sky the the lighting on this episode was brilliant the entire way through and just the the, the golden uh coloring from inside the the cryogenic chamber that uh Abigail was 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 what was in that contrasting yeah. with the blue and gray outside it was just the lighting in this episode was really well done i thought yeah. I, I do wish that they could have um, emphasized a little bit more about the coldness of those caskets because uh, uh, they were manhandling them uh, with no sort of effort to sort of cover their hands or, or that they were going to get uh, frost burns from them or whatever. I mean, it's obviously difficult to fake um, you know, their, their breath coming out and you almost didn't need that with the sort of fog atmosphere. But I, I did feel as though um, th- that and, and one other thing about the casket um, when, when this first uh, shark appears um you know, it looked to me about 10 foot long, but they somehow managed to get it into the same casket that um, a possible 5 foot 6 uh, Kathleen Jenkins came out of. But those are very nitpicky. I think, did you, was it you, Mike, that said you noticed a couple of continuity things? I mean, is, is this a point to mention those now? Or well, not? I'll just briefly mention, there is one thing that sort of, I mean, this, this didn't last too much, too long in the episode. But the whole projector thing that that they had going to, uh, towards the end of what the older Kazrin uh, saw, that was when they were. I think it was still going when the Doctor and younger Kazrin were running through the the cryogenic chamber. There was no actual camera, but that's just a nitpicky thing on my part. It's nothing to really spend any time on. But of course, as you as you notice, as the show went on. He was finding more and more photographs, wasn't he? As more yeah. and more Christmases, so it could be that he'd found another, you know, another cinematic recording. Because the young boy in the very first one says to the doctor, "Why are you recording?" So, you know, the, I mean, to give Stephen his due, little details like that, you know, he remembers to put a, 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 an audio or a, a narrative clue in for us. Yeah, and okay. another little detail that I liked was the the thing with the spiders in the in the cupboard, <laughs> the face spiders that crawl up the walls. And no, they're not in the cupboard at this time of night. They're probably in the mattress. <laughs> yeah, thank well, you, doctor. <laughs> yeah, and um, the, the the funny thing when he said, "I'm in a twelve year old's bedroom. I won't look under the bed." Now, to me, I've got an innocent mind. I was thinking, "Who's oh, going to think there's a clockwork man under there?" From from uh, from the, the his other one, the uh, girl in the fireplace. But obviously it was some sort of teenage joke. Okay, let's go to back to that. I'm trying to keep people in order here. So just to remind people, uh, uh, I'm going Mike, Darth, Charlie, Tim. I voted Saxon, myself, and then Benjamin. So just so you know when I'll call to you. And uh, so Darth. Yeah, I think um, to speak about the narrative itself for a moment, 
Well, we were just talking about continuity errors, so let me just throw this out because it's really about the only thing I didn't like about the episode. Um, you know, this thing violates a rule apparently established in, um, well, modern undead, I guess, originally, or maybe even Invasion of the Dinosaurs, really. Um, but but certainly carried through in um, uh, Father's Day. You know, you're not supposed to touch somebody who is yourself at an earlier stage in time. That was a big, big point of Father's Day. And, you know, you, you saw the, you know, two sonic screwdrivers in the Big Bang create an explosion when they touched each other. But this episode totally ignores that. And you have the older Kazrin hugging the younger Kazrin um, on at least two different occasions. And it, it, it did sort of make me think, what the hell is going on there. And I don't really think... Uh, we, we had Tim saying in text that Moffat is forgetting the Blinovich limitation effect. I don't really think it's that he's forgetting it because he clearly remembered it for the Big Bang. I, I think he's just saying, it doesn't matter, it's Christmas. And that slightly annoys me, only very slightly annoys me because it's just... It's just it's a, it's a trait that Moffat has that occasionally, and you can tell it in the commentaries that he does. Whenever there's an error, he always tries to make a joke out of it, makes it seem like it's not that important. Um, and in a sense, he's right, but I think this is a different matter because you're talking about, this isn't just talking about violating modern undead, which, you know, to some fans would be bad enough. But this is rather talking about some violating something that is established by the new series. And that that's maybe a slightly graver error. But nevertheless, throwing that one thing aside, um, this, seriously, I, I think we're being a little too muted in our praise for the narrative here. Um, because to me, this is just one of the most wondrous episodes of Doctor Who that there has been yet. And I... I found myself totally in love with the Doctor, totally uh, buying Amy Pond for once, um, even though she's not in it that much. Where she is, I thought she, she gave a more mature performance than we normally got out of her um, this last series. Uh, I, I found myself unusually moved by certain parts of it, which isn't something that Stephen Moffat was able to do to me too much this last series. Um, it, it reminded me at some points, like that wonderful scene in Blink where Sally uh, is talking to the older Billy Shipton right as he's about to die. And, and the dialogue there between those two is, is one of the most emotional moments in all of Doctor Who. And I thought that there were points here where it reached that level of genuine emotion. Um, I also thought uh, just some glorious, the whole Marilyn Monroe thing, the whole way that Matt Smith uh, was uh, just in command of his role, in command of what his character is. And maybe that's in part because now Moffat is writing more specifically for Matt. Um, but, I, but I found myself much more enjoying this uh, version of the 11th Doctor than I had previously. Um, you know, before it was always like I could find a moment in each episode where somehow Matt Smith 
had drawn me out of it with a, a reading that I didn't think worked particularly well. But I think in this episode, I was totally buying Matt Smith the whole time through. And I think that that augurs well for what is to come. So, okay. I mean, f- for, for me, is it the best Christmas special? I will always have a, a um, soft spot for Christmas Invasion because that's not just a you know, Christmas special is also a regeneration episode. Um, but beyond that one, I think that, yes, this is, this is a Christmas special that doesn't feel like it was thrown away. It doesn't feel disconnected. I think Tim was mentioning earlier, he thought, Oh, this is, you know, you know, the problem with Christmas specials is that they come too late after the, the, the main series and too early before the next one, and so therefore they are disjointed. But I think that the the clever working of that line, you know, we're halfway out of the winter, or that's not the exact line, but we're, you know, moving out of winter, halfway out of the dark, I think very cleverly knits this into the middle of whatever the overall storyline is of the, um, the silence. And I, I found myself believing, as as the doctor said that very last line, that what he was thinking about was the silence. That you know, this is we're halfway through trying to figure out what this big, major, oppressive thing is that's happening to me, and you know, taking the moment out for a little bit of Christmas. But so to me, I think it it does fit narratively within the the larger story arc. But more importantly, it is just it's a it's a really good episode on its own. I think Dave, you were saying, you know, if it weren't a Christmas episode, you might have enjoyed it better. And I think that for you to even say that suggests that at its core, there is actually a more significant story here than there was in The Next Doctor or in certainly Voyage of the Damned. Oh and, yeah, you know. I, I mean, so I've, 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 I, 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 there was a lot to admire in the in, in the thing. But uh, I suppose it was my own prejudice stopping me from actually using the word enjoyment because I'm always I'm always watching it. One eye of me is admiring how well it's constructed in the plot, and the yeah. other the other side of me is tutting that they've gone and done a Christmas story, uh, which is not really what I want. But I realise I'm an old curmudgeon on things like that, so. Um, let me just play another clip as I am want to do, and then we'll move on to Charlie. Poor begging people. Off home and pray for a miracle. <laughs> ah! Yes! Blimey, sorry. Christmas Eve on a rooftop, saw a chimney, my whole brain just went... What the hell? Don't worry, Fat Fuller will be doing the rounds later. I'm just scoping out the general chimminess. Yes. Nice size. Good track. Big kick. Fat Fella. Father Christmas. Santa Claus. Or, as I've always known him, Jeff. There's no such person as Father Christmas. Oh, yeah. Me and Father Christmas. Frank Sinatra's Hunting Lodge, 1952. See him at the back with a blonde, Albert Einstein, the three of us together. Watch out. Okay? Keep the faith. Stay off the naughtiness. 
Oh, now what's this then? I love this. A big flashy lighty thing, that's what brought me here. Big flashy lighty things have got me written all over them. Not actually. Give me time and a crayon. Now, this big flashy lighty thing is connected to the spire in your dome, yeah? And it controls the sky. Well, technically it controls the clouds, which technically aren't clouds at all. Well, they're clouds of tiny particles of ice. Ice clouds love that. Who's she? Nobody important. Nobody important. Blimey, that's amazing. Do you know, in 900 years of time and space, I've never met anyone who wasn't important before. Uh, I almost thought when he was saying, uh, and I've met uh, Father Christmas, uh, I know him as, I thought he was going to say, Bob. <laughs> I would have loved him to have said Bob. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Charlie. Yeah, um, well, since you, you brought up that, that whole opening scene with, with, with a fair... Um, they they meet together. I just like the whole bit that he he sort of uh, he 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 can't throw him out. He always seems to appear. He's just like oh get out of here, and then they, and then uh, he shows up again. And then I think it's like three times before he actually gets him uh, to leave the, his um, his place. Which is, which is, um, since you know you you bring up the whole fish and everything, I thought one one thing I I I like that the the CGI work for the fish, even the the shark. I thought that was pretty good with uh, you know the scene with um, the shark breaking through uh, you know getting into his bedroom and breaking through the door and everything like that. That was uh, well um, imagined, and even the whole with, with the um, in the freezer, even they had they had a little uh, quick jaws cue in the background with, with the thing going through the um, through the ice, which was which was. Which was interesting, or whatever, you know, homage or something like that. With Murray Goes part, um, yeah. Just I'm, again, I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss for words right now. So you can go okay. on. Okay, we'll come back to you. Yeah, uh, just before I go to you, Tim, can I just, uh, Darth, are you referring to what Benjamin wrote in the text there? Yeah, I think Ben should come on now and sort of talk about his theory because it's a great theory, and I hadn't even considered it. Okay. Uh, well, basically, you know, we, we we knew from last season, especially because they filmed them out of order, and yet the progression was in the correct or was in a logical order. Uh, Matt, they've been they designed it so that his character has been growing and he's been moving in a certain way, and he's he's still bumbling a bit. But in this episode, you're seeing him; he has complete control over the TARDIS. He seems to have almost complete control over time and space at this point. He sees maybe a few niggles, but he's becoming the amazing figure that River Song describes in Silence in the Library, that the Doctor's going to become this figure. And we also know from the Big Bang that River says, next time you meet me, everything's going to change. We know from the filming that she's... The doctor is going to meet River Song in the season premiere, the American story. And supposedly 2011, it's going to be really River Song is going to be a major feature. So they're creating this amazing character. Supposedly, you're going to. It's all. It's a story arc here. We're going to see. We're we're getting set up for the doctor to do unusual things. And I also think that there's going to be a downfall because they aren't going to want to keep the Doctor at this super being level for an extended period. I think there's going to be some... I think that one way or another, 
it's going to be the Doctor's going to be brought down to earth by the end of the 13 episodes. And if they do a remake of a story next Christmas, my money's on It's a Wonderful Life with the Doctor trying to George Bailey himself out of existence. But uh, this about the fact that he's doing amazing things, that surely runs counter to this who's controlling the TARDIS thing that was left in in abeyance, wasn't it? Well, you can have multiple story arcs going at once. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay. Uh, Well, thanks for... uh, I think that was good. And uh, apologies to Tim for uh, going out of order there. But I think uh, from what was in text there, that was uh, the apt place to uh, bring that in. So let's go back to Tim. Well, I always concede to Benjamin, who always has an interesting take on the episode. Um, Well, on the um, control of the TARDIS, and surely the the silence is controlling the TARDIS point... Uh, someone pointed this out. Um, it was either on Twitter or Facebook. It's a bit confusing because Twitter went, Twitter went down at the most inconvenient point for me yesterday. <laughs> it was during Doctor Who, and I was sat there with a the computer in front of me during Doctor Who, going, "Come on, Twitter, get working again. I need you for my podcast recording." You mean you were left having to just watch Doctor Who, you poor guy? <laughs> oh, I don't monitor it during during the programme, oh, but right. I like to have it during the podcast recording, because I, I give a little review myself, and then I go straight on Twitter, and you can get a, a, a cross-section of the public and the, the fans' view just like that straight off Twitter, and if Twitter's down, I'm a bit flummoxed. So I'd put an emergency appeal out on to my Facebook friends to please post some thoughts on the episode because I may need them at the end. And um, I can't remember whether it came through via Facebook or Twitter in the end, but somebody did say, oh, I was expecting something that continued on where the previous series left off. And, well, they never really do this. The, tw- the uh, Christmas episodes always stand alone. And there may be certain things carried through, but the overall arc plot line that will be restarted next year, they they too tend to put that on the back burner. Right. Let, let me just go quickly then hold, to... Hold uh, on just a second. Oh, that, that's not really true, though, you know. I mean, the the one of the major facets of David Tennant's characterization as the Doctor is in The Runaway Bride. And, of course, you know... You can't really say that the regeneration episode of Christmas um, Invasion is unrelated to the the series that followed it. It's fundamentally part of the series that followed it. Uh, I think you know you might be able to make the case for um, well, e- even Next Doctor, which seems to be relatively out there on its own. I mean, that does get a mention again, and a mysterious one it may be, but still a positive one in Time of Angels. Um, so I don't think it's it's not really fair to say that they are completely out there on their own in these little islands. At the time that you watch them, you might very well be tempted to think, okay, this doesn't really relate to anything. But I think ultimately they are. Yeah, I think probably that's one. Well, well, I don't want to put words in It's a good mind. point. The things may be being set up now for what we're going to see next year. Yeah. Um, we've only really had a a tiniest of tastes of that in the trailer, which is very it's very eye-catching. <laughs> I've only managed to see it once all the way through so far, because the time constraints yeah. and what have you. Yeah, time will um, on that one anyway, won't it? 
I mean, the the, the 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 to give a brief mention of the trailer, the, the some of the best things in it for me was just to finally see uh, some of that footage that they've been shooting out in Utah, because thanks to Tardis Tara and her friends, we have some idea of what they were shooting, but not precisely. And the few clips they included sort of kind of kind of um, ticked boxes and um, added up and uh, agreed with what had been eyewitnessed. Right. Well, two things. First, let me just, before we go to I Voted Saxon, one is that um, when Ian sees that trailer, his eyes will pop out when he sees uh, River Song as she looks as though Particularly at least one of those shots. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And the other thing is, uh, was it you that said you had some uh, comments to bring to us from Romana? That was me. Wasn't yeah. me. So some, somebody else said them. That was it, Mike. Yeah. That said. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go to I voted Saxon because he hasn't spoken for a while, and then I'll come to you, Mike, and perhaps you can recount those. So, I voted Saxon. Okay. Uh, well, one thing that bothered me a little bit was that you have this twelve-year-old boy who doesn't seem to have a mother, uh, and I don't recall if they explained why. Or when All the mother... fairy stories. There's never a. It's always a stepmother. They never have a mother in a. Well, he had. Uh, he had uh, sitters. He, he had babysitters or nannies, but he didn't have a mother. So when he met Abigail, uh, the first time, I thought that she was going to be a mother figure to him. Ah. Right. And that that was going to be the way that he got his redemption. And uh, I guess five or six days went by. Uh, for for her, but yeah. it was years for him. And when the relationship changed, uh, I was a little put off by that, in that I could understand why he would fall in love with her. And as he got older and only seeing her once a year, he would, uh, you know, romanticize her in, yeah. in his in his developing mind. But for her... It was only five days, and I do I don't see her. Oh no, no, it was taking all of her that. life in effect, wasn't it? I mean, those it wasn't as though she had three hundred and sixty ordinary days in between. So there were five there consecutive nothing, nothing, days for her, and, yeah. and nothing in between. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, in five days, she saw this boy turn into a man, and I don't see how she made the leap uh, from yeah. seeing him as a boy and then. Just automatically seeing him as a man, and then the the, the hormones kick in, so to speak. It would it would have almost been better if they'd had a you know a couple of non-speaking actors on a couple of Christmases. You know, if that actor had an older brother or something, and and we'd seen like four stages because for four years he didn't change, and then suddenly mm. he went from what appeared to be twelve to seventeen or eighteen. Well, um, like I said, I total I yeah. I fell in love with her. Uh, yeah. And I'm not. I'm far from being a 12-year-old boy, and I can understand how he would feel about her. But she should have been a little bit more in in control from where I was sitting. And uh, uh, the second thing, and I liked the episode. I just want to get that out. But the second thing that bothered me was that she was basically playing in the Christmas Carol the role of Tiny Tim. She was Ooh. the sickly member of the poor family that was beholden to the Scrooge. That is an excellent. Yeah. Yeah. In and in the, you know, Christmas Carol, 
Tiny Tim doesn't die at the end. You know, he he recovers from, you know, his illness, and and they contribute that to the love and affection that and support that he got from from Scrooge. So I, throughout this whole episode, was expecting some kind of miracle, something that would happen that would prevent her from dying, and that would be the final part of uh, Karzan's redemption. And I was disappointed that, again, it seems like uh, somebody in the BBC or Doctor Who does not like blonde women. Because if you go to the Waters of Mars, you go to uh, the Voyage of the Damned, it seemed like if you're a a blonde woman on a Christmas special, you're going to (laughs) die. Any special, yeah. Uh, Let me just take the time out to welcome quite a few new people joining us. We're talking about um, the Doctor Who Christmas special. There will be all spoilers in this, so uh, if you're joining us now... Be prepared to be spoiled. We assume you've seen the episode, but welcome to join us. And let's get those people in the mood by playing another small clip. Now, this console is the key to saving that ship. Controls are isomorphic, one-to-one. These controls are isomorphic. The skies of this entire world are mine. My family tamed them, and now I own them. Tame the sky. What does that mean? It means I'm Kazran Sardi. I need your help. There are 4,003 people in a spaceship trapped in your cloud belt. Without your help, they're going to die. Yes. There are 4,003 people I won't allow to die tonight. Do you know where that puts you? Where? 4,004. Was that the sort of threaty thing? Get him out of here. And next time, try and find me some funny poor people. <laughs> What? You didn't hit the boy. Well, I will next time. You see, you won't. Now, why? What am I missing? Get out. Chairs, of course, the chairs. Stupid me, the chairs. Chairs. There's a portrait on the wall behind me. It looks like you, but it's too old, so it's your father. All the chairs are angled away from it. Daddy's been dead for 20 years, but you still can't get comfortable where he can see you. There's a Christmas tree in the painting, but none in this house on Christmas Eve. You're scared of him, and you're scared of being like him, and good for you. You're not like him, not really. Do you know why? Why? Because you didn't hit the boy. And I thought, by the way, uh, Stephen Moffat has just answered a lot of fans saying, no, there'll be no crossover between Sherlock and Doctor Who. But that seemed to me a crossover between Sherlock and Doctor Who. Very reminiscent, if you've seen the three episodes of Sherlock, where uh, the analytical way in which Sherlock uh, deduces what's happened, you know, the, uh, the, the, the person who was dead, killed, was a left-handed person or whatever. And that about the chairs, it reminded me of, of course, Stephen Moffat wrote that, uh, reminded me of that. I just want to go as, to... As Randall uh, has just said in, in chat, it, it references the 11th hour, and I thought it was more of a reference to that sequence in uh, the 11th hour where they stood on the village green and the Doctor's mind whizzes around. Ah, good point. And, and we, in fact, I'm going to go to uh, Mike now, Tim, if you don't mind, uh, because he's probably got that to add, and he's got some uh, information from Romana too, I believe. 
Yes, by proxy, Ramada too, who's unable to be here today. She's over to friends. She sent some comments about how uh, her reaction to the episode, and uh, she says uh, she, lo- she it was a great episode. She loved the fact that it was different and wasn't wasn't set in London, and that the world wasn't at stake in this episode. Uh, Moffat did well. Nice fresh, nice breath of fresh air after five years of the same old Christmas episodes with Davies. Also, fish, fish in the sky equals awesome. And that's what Romana too thought of the episode. Those are her quick first thoughts. Okay, have you got any comments to add from all the things you've heard just recently? Mm. Yeah, just basically adding on to what I and what Tim just mentioned about the whole looking around in the Doctor's mind, referencing back to 11th Hour, the whole quick cuts of of uh, editing to look around the room. Just, yeah, another reference back to 11th Hour. And, um... Not right Darth, now. Go on to the next Darth, person. Darth, yeah, what's Darth putting in the, Yeah, uh, Darth, do you want to just comment on that? Oh, well, I mean, the Doctor has always or long been uh, referencing Sherlock Holmes. I mean, you can go back to Robot and you can see um, Tom Baker there saying the, the line that is again quoted in The Hungry Earth of, you know, whatever remains, however improbable must be the truth or whatever and and the whole thing of deducing that if it's not if the 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 safe or whatever it is that they're breaking into in robot if if it hasn't come from the the top or the sides then it must be coming up through the bottom um so i mean i don't know you, you can hear moffat saying in in interviews that he gave at around the time that sherlock was launched and, and people were asking him, well, isn't this just the Doctor again? And he's saying, basically, the Doctor is Sherlock Holmes, and the Sherlock Holmes is the Doctor, but they're just coming at the same um, uh, the same center point, the same characterization from two different angles. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a reference to whatever you want it to be in the Sherlock pantheon, but basically... The Doctor has always been a Sherlock Holmesian figure. Right. Okay, well, uh, I'll be going to Charlie next, but I'll play a little clip. Hello. My name is Catherine Sardik. I'm 12 and a half. Secret special project. This is my top secret special project. What are you doing? I warned you before about this stupid, ignorant, ridiculous child. I'm just going to make a film of the fish. Fish are dangerous. I just want to see them. We seen to the next gypsies. Singing what? I've seen it. Fish like the singing. What does it matter what fish like? People say we don't have to be afraid of the fish. They're not really interested. You in don't that. listen to people. You listen to me. Oh. Sorry, father. What have you done? What is this? Found it on an old drive. Sorry about the picture quality. I had to recover the data using quantum enfolding and a paper clip. Oh, I won't bother calling your servants. They quit. Apparently, they won the lottery at exactly the same time, which is a bit lucky when you think about it. There isn't a lottery. Yeah, as I say, lucky. Who are you? Tonight, I'm a ghost of Christmas past. Did you ever get to see a fish? Back then, when you were a kid. What does that matter to you? Look how it mattered to you. I cried all night. And I learned life's most invaluable lesson. Which is? Nobody comes. Get out! Get out of my house! Okay. 
Okay, but I'll be back. Way back. Way, way back. And that's where it went to my favourite section of the whole thing there. But uh, let's move to Charlie. Yeah, I just I like the whole um, baby. You see the black and white projection on the on the on the on the wall, and he opens the door, closes it, and he and then he shows up in the in the movie, in the in the, in the home movie. Um, actually, I was thinking about you know he plays that uh, you play that clip of, of um, a brief I don't know of uh, of uh, his Tarzan's dad. Uh, you don't see it, but you hear it of him, of him hitting him, and I thought that was sort of. I don't want to say different, but you know, it it it, it um it uh, you sort of realize what what kind of how how this occurs uh, and how he uh, why, why he's like this white sort of like a bitter old man, and then yeah, and, um, and why is his name like an anagram? Has anybody figured out whether it is an anagram or not? Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I shouldn't said that. Go on, Charlie. Um, and just the whole the whole idea of. Uh, the doctor trying, you know, like I said, you know, later on near the end of the episode about, you know, uh, time can be rewritten, but people can't. And then the doctor tries to, you know, try to make, tries to make them better, but he doesn't do it. And just, it's, it, it, it's, it's a complex for a Christmas episode. It's very complex in that, you know, it, it, when we look at it, you kind of think, Oh, the doctor's going to, you know, do this and he's going to, he's going to change him and he's going to be a better person. But it, you know, um, it, I guess I guess yeah. At the end, he is, but it 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 it, uh, it takes a lot for it for it to happen. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go. Uh, I think we we've got Mike, Darth, Charlie. So Tim, do you want to come in on this one at this point? I'm running out of things to add now. Okay, right. We'll move on. Uh, um. I'll play another clip. Uh, I'll try not to play all these clips. In fact, let me try and move. In fact, I'll jump. I'll jump forward a couple. Skip a couple. Pick a card. Any card at all. Every Christmas Eve. I don't understand. I'm not sure I do. You memorize the card. You put it back in the deck. Don't let me see it. This one looked like last year. Well, it doesn't have to be exactly the same. I'm starting again. Come on, Kazran. We're starting again. That's Sadik's boy, isn't it? He's not like his father. His father treats everyone like cattle. One day that boy will do the same. No. He's different. Fear claps. No. Be sure, son. Pick a card. Any card at all. Every Christmas Eve. I don't understand. I'm not sure I do. And you know what happened there, don't you? I was going to say, I was typing in by. Uh, to uh, Merlin who's just leaving us and of course my uh, mouse was hovering over the clip so it started playing it again apologise for that it's about time I made a mistake uh, I've just realised by jumping on with those clips I missed one of my favourite clips where um, where he's describing the little fish and uh, uh, the boy says what colours is it and of course the shark comes in and he said it's a big colour and then he said uh, there's a shark in my room what there's a shark in my room so uh, apologies for that there. Okay, Benjamin, it's a while since uh, you've been on, so do you want to come back in? Okay. Yeah, about the, the complex story, it's interesting to note that um, at the end of the story, we, we know that obviously this one crew's been saved, and this one night this fellow is 
saying goodbye to the girl that he's loved because the Doctor changed things. But it's interesting. Usually in a Doctor Who story like this, you'd expect them to find out, oh, and he frees all the surplus population that he's kept in the storeroom. And there are changes to the world and everything. And we have no idea if anything's going to change. We don't know how it's going to be after this night. We still have all these people frozen in death down below in the basement. Like, you think it's bad enough having a cyber woman in the Torchwood basement. Yanto's got nothing on the car's hand. But uh, you really just don't... They, they have a, certainly left it open to have a, a novel set there with the Doctor coming back in the future. It's like, did things change? Yeah, and on campus... Should they have changed? Uh, yeah, and can people change? Uh, and I'm just getting aware of things in text. I don't know how much longer we will go because just to tell people in the room who may not be aware of it, I mentioned it right at the beginning of the show, at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, that's 10 p.m. Uh, GMT, uh, Doctor Who Podshock is doing their live show on Torture ID 2358. Uh, and we wanted to have a break before that, but we also want to have a little bit of a focus on talking about um, the actual uh, preview of next season as well. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to jump to my last clip um, for uh, the episode itself, and then I'm going to go around and ask everybody, do they want to make, you know, is there one big thing that they wanted to mention about the actual episode itself and, and maybe give a, a rating although we still don't have any rating ideas let's go let's go for fish how many fish out of five and um and then uh, after everybody's done that i will play the preview tra- trailer and we can have five or ten minutes on that and try and finish uh before nine o'clock uh, sorry before four four uh, eastern standard time so I'm playing the last clip from the show. Everybody have one more comment on the show itself. Then I play the trailer for the upcoming series. Here we go. What is that? What are you listening to? This is something outside. This is something there from clouds.
Hello, my old friend. Okay, and let's um, go around the room with our final thoughts, and then don't talk about the uh, trailer, because I'll play the trailer before we do that. So, Mike, uh, what was your summation of it? Well, it was it was just a great all-around episode, and just a great a great episode penned by Stephen Moffat. And uh, my one last thought is is on Abigail's song and connecting this Christmas special into the overall the overall arc that we have going on. And if you noticed, of course, the the lines there referred to silence is all you see and hear, and et cetera, et cetera. And we've got, of course, the silence will fall story arc, and we also had. Earlier we mentioned the the whole halfway out of the dark, and this could be the halfway point of this silent story arc going on, so that's an interesting note. And, yeah, just uh, my my rating for this episode, I give this, let's see, I had, uh, I had something clever thought up, but I'll just go with five, five fishes out of five. I'll see if I can remember my witty comment. Okay, and can I ask the people who are not uh, on microphone to put their rating out of five in text, please, and I'll ask Mike to keep an eye on those for me, if he would. Uh, Darth? Well, uh, I I think this episode should satisfy people who have long been saying that we don't get enough episodes off Earth, because it does believably create a world which is fairly significantly different to Earth. Um, I think it and, of course, a starship, which we really haven't seen that many of, that actually look like our perceived notion of what starships look like. At the same time, it's just bonkers, because it juxtaposes that with sort of a historical, but it's not really a historical, but it looks like it's a historical. And you have Matt Smith being gloriously crazy throughout. Um, So if... I think if you don't really enjoy this Christmas episode, you've got a very, very hard heart. A harder one than mine. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, I, you know, I just loved it. I just was teleported away. The the song at the end, I still don't know what the words to the song are. No, I, mean, I agree. You know, Mike has just told us what they are. I don't know what they are, but you know what? It's such a lovely voice. It's such a lovely instrument of a voice. It doesn't matter. And I mean, isn't that... Here's the thing. Stephen Moffat told us that this would be the most Christmassy Christmas special ever. And for once, that was absolutely true. And that's, I think, as much praise as the episode needs. So five out of five from me. Right. I I agree with all that you said, but the the very fact that he said it would be the most Christmassy episode of all, those words struck fear into my heart. Oh, they struck fear into mine, as did the title. I mean, I hate the Christmas Carol. But you know what? For me, at the end of the day, it really didn't feel that much like a Christmas Carol. I mean, I know that we've had people saying, you know, that there are certain characters within the narrative that uh, correspond to other characters within a Christmas Carol. But I actually found it to be much more like... um, the story of Lucy within the Chronicles of Narnia and how she falls away from the doc, like the, those, those achingly horrible moments in this thing where the, um, uh, the main character is turning his back on the doctor reminds me of 
passages within Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy grows up and decides that she's going to turn her back on Aslan. And uh, I think it's just, I think it's glorious how it is sort of the Christmas Carol. You can kind of see that there are some major broad strokes with that, but they're working. The main thing working within it is nothing to do with the Christmas Carol at all. I don't think so. Mm. Glorious stuff. Okay. Let's move to Charlie and his rating. Oh, geez. Uh, I think overall, probably, yeah, I give it a five. I think it's, it's very, it's, yeah, in terms of even something like a like a like an hour long drama, I thought it was very well paced, good acting all around. Just, just uh, like I said, I watched it three times, so I, I must, I, you know, it's 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 a very it's 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 yeah, like I said, very good. Excellent, good, Tim. Uh, what would be a um, four out of five for me, Dave? Because as I said. For some reason, I, I've not hooked into this consensus of it being the best Christmas episode ever. But uh, it was full of a lot of ideas that I really liked. And as I keep saying, the design in it was wonderful, and hopefully some uh, committee that hands out awards will have been watching, and uh, there'll be another award in, in the offing for the uh, BBC Wales Design Department. Yeah, and I, I'm probably for the musical score, I would have thought. Yeah, the, the, okay. the music, um, barely any of us have mentioned the music, and it was a wonderful score. And um, I don't always rush into buying these soundtrack albums, but I think I may actually order this one as it's coming out as soon as February. Excellent. Okay, I voted Saxon, or Fall Saxon. Okay, uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five. It would have gotten a perfect score if uh, Abigail would have lived at the end. The doctor said at one point, uh, pretty much anything is possible on Christmas when they were waiting for the fish. And I thought that that was a, a clue that there would be some sort of impossible miracle at the end that would save her. Uh, it, it gets it gets a, a mention that Amy was back in her cop uniform, and that was good. <laughs> All right. Okay. What was your rating again? Just remind me. Four out of five. It, like Four I said, it would have gotten a perfect score if, yeah. if Abigail would have lived. Okay. Um, I, really something to say. Well, if you're oh, th- if, I just wanted to say one, one more thing. I'm really surprised the doctor didn't notice the countdown. He asked her about the numbers when it read eight, and he opened that door how many times. He never noticed that there was a countdown until it was too uh-huh. late. Yeah, he didn't notice it till uh, till very near the end. It was down to a, either two or one. So Darth just wants to come in with a an item we might have missed. No, well, an item that I screwed up on. Sorry, I, I said before that the story was like the the story of Lucy within Chronicles of Narnia. It's really like the story of Susan. So just to avoid getting any emails from people who are listening, obviously right. Lucy Lucy remains faithful to Aslan throughout Narnia. Right. It wasn't the lad who liked Turkish Delight. Uh, it wasn't what? I'm sorry, Dan. wasn't the, the boy who liked Turkish Delight, the one who, that aligned Edmund. himself with the ice cream. Well, I mean, Edmund grows up too, but the thing about Susan is um, she specifically turns her back on Aslan. 
Uh, like it's right. implied heavily that she becomes later a prostitute and, you know, gets involved in wearing makeup and doing things that are specifically, you know, against Narnia. Right. She she really turns her back in the same way that uh, we see the main character here do. Okay. Let me go on to Benjamin then. Okay. Well, um, I'll take my turn from the fact that we saw the shark jump the doctor at one point. So I'll say four and a half jumped doctors out of five. And I do think, as far as Christmas specials go, it's really a mirror of the Christmas invasion in several ways. And certainly I think it's the best Christmas special, at least as a Christmas episode, since the Christmas invasion. And even my reaction to it felt like a mirror. Because with Christmas invasion, I was really, really liked it and then there were a couple bits right near the end that I really found a bit off-putting and unsettling. And in this one, there were a couple times early in the story where I wondered what's going on here, and then it just built up and got better and better towards the end. I've noticed, I think looking back at it, Russell T. Davies seemed to be really at his forte in writing one of the things he seemed to do really good on was telling stories from beginning to end. And you have this time travel machine, and it gets there, and then he seems to do better when everything happens in straight order. And Christmas Invasion, everything seems to happen in an order, and it's a really, really well-built story. And Stephen Moffat, of course, has built this reputation He seems to do much better, both in this and in Sherlock Holmes and in Coupling and in Jekyll, when everything's all scrunched up and the order is all done differently. And it's like Christmas Invasion was a a Christmas tale where everything happens in a specific order, and this is a Christmas tale where everything happens in a jumbled, uh, trademark, tiny-wimey order. So just it felt like, like... if Christmas Invasion was the signature Russell T. Davies Christmas tale, then this is the signature Stephen Moffat Christmas tale. So he set himself a high bar for next time. Okay. All right, well, uh, let me go ahead and then ask Mike. I think at least one person has put their rating in. Please put yes, your rating uh, in, Tex. Yes, yeah, Bob has given this episode a four out of five. Okay, and we'll look out for anybody else. Um as a production value and as an episode, I can certainly give it five out of five uh, with no problems. But I, I, I do have issues uh, on, on an enjoyment level. It was three, uh, and that three was for you know that sort of twenty-minute section of it uh, where he does the projection and the the time travel element, as I talked about, uh, and I think Tim was in agreement with me on that part. And um, one little thing that just great in me apart from the actual shark bit was um when uh, amy comes as the the ghost of christmas future again that we do this i'm so sorry how many characters of russell d davis had said i'm sorry i'm so sorry but they always say it in the same way uh he had the um the the main character say it here uh i can't pronounce his name uh, the michael gambon character say it he had her say it. He's had Riversong say it in other stories. The Doctor's forever saying, I'm sorry, I'm so, so sorry. But always in the same way, just beginning to... It's becoming um, uh, something of a, an issue with me, I think. But, um, no, production values, 
uh, casting, direction, the whole way it was constructed. There's no doubt this is a five out of five Doctor Who. My personal taste, only a three out of five. So uh, nobody else, I think, has put in a rating. So what I'm going to do is play the trailer that was shown. It's just a one-minute trailer right at the end. And then we've got... We want to finish on the top of the hour, I think. So we've not got a great deal of time to discuss. Where's the doctor? I've been running. Faster than I've ever run. Now it's time for me to stop. I'm going to need a swap team ready to mobilize. Street level maps covering all of Florida. A pot of coffee, 12 jammy dodgers and a fez. Somewhere different, somewhere brand new. I wear a Stetson now. Stetsons are cool. We've been recruited. Recruited by who? You're going to have to trust us this time. You have to do this and you can't have quite. One quick remark from me, that Stetson, was it Tardis Tara Stetson he was wearing? Because she went out to mm-hmm. Utah to watch him. I'm, so I'm sure he had his own, Dave. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure Tardis Tara would like it if he was wearing her scarf and her Stetson. Right, let's go round the room in the same order again. Mike, do you want to mention any thoughts uh, on that? Text, Dave, can I go first? Because I want to draw Oh, forward. sorry. Okay, I apologise. Go on then. Uh, well, if you... I've only seen the trailer a couple of times, so I'll just state what I remember of it. Uh, the, uh, there's certainly a few scenes from the Utah filming. Uh, uh, there's the Doctor at the desk of what appears to be the Oval Office in the White House. and some nice lines from him there. And um brief appearance of an Ood, which is interesting. And the other one that caught me, and I was framed by framing it, on YouTube while we were chatting earlier just so I could confirm where it is but roughly 30 seconds in we see the reappearance of something I had hoped would reappear and that's the uh, the sort of quasi-tardis that appeared at the end of The Lodger ah. uh, that's going to be pretty key in an episode next year but, and it's good to see them reusing that set because it was a very striking and incredibly well-designed and well-built set and it would have been such a shame to just have it appear in one episode so, um, I myself, as a fan of TARDISes, will be keeping an eye out for where that appears. And um, speculation-wise, based on what's in the trailer, it may be an Area 51 type thing. Right. But uh, that's, that's just an early thought. And uh, I'm going to drop off because uh, I'm looking at the time, and in about 11 minutes, uh, it'll be time to watch Keeley Hawes again, because uh, Upstairs Downstairs is coming to BBC One. And for those who don't know, Keeley Hawes, of course, was uh, in Ashes to Ashes. It's time to grab the kettle and make a cup of tea before that. So, um, bye everybody, and I'll catch the end of the show uh, in a couple of days, I guess. And remember, Podshock, uh, Talk Show ID 23358 at 5pm. Uh, yeah, that's conveniently time. straight after upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, thanks for that, Tim. I'm going to move quickly on bye now. Bye, Dave. Bye, everyone. Bye. Uh, Mike? Well, yeah, there's just a lot to pick apart in this, and I think if you're going into how far into the season, how far into the, the season this trailer goes, I think it's like the first three or four episodes. But yeah, there's a lot to pick apart here. The return of the Ood was what surprised me perhaps the most, because in my mind, I connect, connected the Ood, the, their appearance in the, sto- in the story of the Tenth Doctor with the Doctor Donna's song and just the Doctor's the Tenth Doctor's song in general, because of course we they hinted at the Doctor Donna and the Ood Sigma came back at the end of the end of time. So I tied them up with you know they were they, they appeared in the Russell C Davies era. They, I put them as one of his. So seeing the Ood again that was quite a surprise and. As for the rest of the of the trailer, uh, Moffat has said recently that this next series will be darker and scarier than any before it. Uh, which, uh, judging from that trailer, it looks to be the case. There's the astronaut in, the, in that the, the person in the spacesuit or whatever in the room that was rather startling, and uh, just the the aliens that look like the stereotypical. Uh, Area 51 aliens that we saw in that one room, or at least a glimpse that could have been. That was rather interesting. It's it, As trailers go, the purpose is to get you excited for what they're promoting, and I am very much looking, at, looking forward to Series Otter slash Kazarine next year. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. Mike, let's go to uh, Charlie. Sorry, uh, da- we should be Darth next. Sorry, da- sorry, Charlie. Can we go to Darth next? Sorry, we're going to me now? Yeah, that's okay. the order we kept in. We've, we've <laughs> got Mike, Dar, Charlie. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would very much concur with Mike, what Mike just said there. Uh, because if it is indeed the, the point of a trailer to get you to watch things, then surely the fact that I have put that trailer on a loop and watched it at least 100 times must be an indication that it was a successful trailer, um, which, you know, isn't always the case. Uh, I remember the Series 3 trailer after um, after um, Runaway Bride mm-hmm. and not being all that great. And in comparison, what what strikes me as wonderful here is that there's only one image, one, in the entire thing that, I've seen before and it's the Ood and even he looks different because he's got green eyes. So immediately you're like, okay, I know that, but why the hell is it green eyes? What's going on with that? The the thing that strikes me about this is how unfamiliar it all feels. Um, And those, those scenes from Utah are just gorgeous. Uh, The, the little bit where um, River song shoots the Stetson off of his hat the way that she's captured, you know, with the sun in the background, very traditional sort of Western framing. And I, I just never thought I'd see anything like that in Doctor Who ever. And it just looks gorgeous. Um, and, and yet, you know, that there are those moments throughout where, you know, Smith is being a little bit bonkers, like the, the scene in the Oval Office or what we're assuming. Well, it has to be the Oval Office, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, just, I love that line. I just think that's a gorgeous, gorgeous line that that sums up, you know, everything that the doctor, this doctor, is. Uh, just wonderful. Um, 
And you know, it it is it is scary. It, it reminds me, I what this the excitement level of this trailer reminds me of the mid season trailer from series three, where they had to go away, you know, for two weeks for Eurovision or whatever, and they put up the trailer for the the back half of uh, series three, and you know, you didn't know what the hell was going on, but it was you know this blend of images of things that you had never seen before. And then it was, you know, this dark summation of what the doctor is and the doctor not looking at all happy or friendly at the end. You know, the fact that you got a bearded Matt Smith that looks like he's been captured for a long time. Does that mean that, you know, we're going to get a, a Paul McGann-like separation from the companions for a hundred years where he's just, you know, on his own living out this desolate time i don't know you know i wasn't expecting to see these uh you know cavalier or or musketeer looking people that start the thing Uh, i didn't realize that there was anything like that era of time within the next series um of course i've not really been looking for spoilers maybe this is all stuff that you know is commonly known to people who've been watching spoilers but i swear there really wasn't anything in that entire thing that I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I knew that was coming, except for maybe the stuff in the Utah desert, because I, I have seen some pictures of that. But even those images looked way better than what I thought was going to come. I mean, they are absolutely taking advantage of having gone there. And I don't think that any license fee payer in, in Britain can be looking at that trailer and thinking, oh, yeah, they just, you know, it's another Dubai thing. It's another, they could have gone anywhere to film that. no. They really couldn't have gone anywhere else in the world to film that, and they absolutely take advantage of it. So, my gosh, what an exciting, exciting trailer. Good. Uh, let's move to Charlie. Yeah, I, I, I really like it. It's, a, it. it's all over the place. I mean, like they, they, like I said, oh, um, the, 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 stuff, the stuff with Monument Valley, even that, that, there's that image where you, you hear him say, you know, I wear a Stetson, Stetsons are cool. And that little image of him leaning back, hearkening, which, uh, hearkening back to uh, sort of James Dean and Giant. And, um, yeah, the, the Monument Valley stuff, that which, you know, reminds me of the, the, the John Ford Westerns with John Wayne. And then you get, you get the, you know, that, that whole scary... I know had the house kind house kind of imagery with the um I don't know, kind of weird I don't know what the heck they are but that's which is good you know I don't know and um it's yeah crazy stuff looking forward to it good good thank you for that I voted for Saxon uh, yeah um the Utah images reminded me a little bit of uh, was it Dreamland. The animated uh, episode. Yeah, that's the name, yeah. And I, I believe I also saw in a wide shot in the distance some uh, MIBs. Uh, it's, so. What's that? Internet, internet, uh, uh, M, uh, Men in Black. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sort of thinking internet, inter- interconnected ballistic missiles, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, no. right. You know, men in Black, right. Yeah, you know. Government the sh- agents, the dark ones. suits. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the the scary uh, bits look uh, incredible. I don't so know what those really... marks are on yeah. River and Amy's uh, bodies. Oh, yes. But... 
It's yes, yeah, they reminded me a little bit of the um, the the two parter from way back. Um, you know, the, the where they they had the beast trapped. Um, yeah. The beast below. No, I can't uh, can't remember the name of the title at this moment. Okay, I, Benjamin. I, I did read that the when they split up the episodes. Uh, mm. The the yeah. the cliffhanger is supposed to be the best cliffhanger that we've ever seen on a Doctor Who, supposedly. Oh. Yeah. So I and don't know what episode that's going to be yet. Episode but it's six. Promise to be better. I think it's episode six where they're breaking it. Either that oh, or no, episode I, seven. Yeah, it's I. I just didn't know what the plot is of that story oh, yeah, from the yeah. trailer, you know. Right. And Charlie P. 79, five points, yeah. Impossible Planet, Satan Pit was the one I was trying to, to name. As we welcome, oh, it's, it's dropped off. Uh, what, people have been, we've had a tremendous response, response in the room today. Uh, lots of people that have come in. Uh, although you've probably heard the same voices on audio, we've had at least another 20 people in the room uh, coming, uh, so we thank you for that. Uh, let me go to Benjamin for his um, thoughts on that trailer. Okay. Uh, the first thing that came to mind to me was seeing Doctor with the beard, and even though I haven't seen the film yet, it reminded me of the trailer for Tron Legacy, where uh, Jeff Bridges is missing for 20-some years, and you and he's been found in the Tron verse, and he's got the beard thing. And it makes me wonder, I think we know there's supposed to be a a game changer coming, and the impression all along has been that that the Matt Smith doctor is cooking. I think at some point that there's going to be a demarcation. So it wouldn't surprise me if the beard and the capture and everything is episode 7. It wouldn't surprise me if we see the doctor aged, and whenever that happens, it's going to be a different portrayal of a character from that point onwards. And if it happens somewhere in the opening two-parter, then it'll be different from there. If I'm right in it's episode seven, it'll be different from there. They did say that we're facing a game changer. So I'm that's that's what that's why I bet on. And I must I was a little surprised to see the Ood because I remember they were claiming that there were going to be no old monsters in Series 6. Mm. And I must admit, okay, the Ood is more of a new-ish monster. It's only five years old when this new, new episode's there. But it is a monster we've seen before. So I'm, it does make you wonder how serious the old monsters thing is. Though, of course, people, <laughs> sure people also know no Daleks. So... <laughs> I'm interested, I'm intrigued, and looking forward to it. And, you know, Stetsons are cool. (laughs) Yeah, unless he's taking a leaf out of Russell T. Davis's book and, uh, you know, doubling up his monsters. Uh, I mean, Darth said that this one had green eyes, so perhaps he's not a nude, but a mood, you know. uh, (laughs) You know, one of these ones. Right, um, I'm just going to give a quick chat myself and then I'm going to ask Mike if I've missed anything in text and then I'm going to bring the show to a close give people a break before Podshock starts at 5pm uh, Eastern Standard Time on Torture ID 
23358. So um, I haven't actually watched it that closely because I've been doing audio and preparation for this, but it certainly looked exciting, uh, and it's one hour I'll... Um, probably take a closer look at later and maybe that um, when we come back next Sunday um, that's um, in actual fact in the new year that will be this is our last show for 2010 our next one is on Sunday the 2nd of January 2011 when we complete our Doctor Who this is your life and we're talking about um, Doctor Who not as seen on TV but in audio books and books then on the 9th of January, we were doing a review of our 2010, all the sci-fi programs that we've seen, read, or listened to, and picking our highlights. And then on the 16th of January, Sunday the 16th of January, all these at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ian will be t- taking charge of the room. I will be absent, and he'll be talking Misfits, which is um, an adult-rated show, and that show will be an explicit tag and it's really for people of 16 and over because um, uh, of the actual material that they're discussing. So um, I'm not going to say too much of the trailer. I think I need to re-watch it again. So with that, Mike, have I missed anything in chat and are we uh, about done? Now we've had Jay, uh, Jay Huddle or joining us here at the end of the show and he's uh, said that never late the never. Isn't that the 11th Doctor's motto? So, welcome to the show, JD, JD Huddle. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think he was trying, I think that's supposed to be better. Well, I'm going to thank everybody. Uh, we we said we'd try and keep this under two hours to give everybody a break. It's been absolutely fantastic the response we've had, um, and I. Uh, hope that the people will also check back their iTunes feed because we've been putting out those uh, special treats uh, of uh, the Colton Collective. That's with Mike, Randall Thor, Ian, the Sixth Doctor, and myself. Uh, the latest one was the Next Doctor commentary, and I hope you'll give those a listen. And although uh, it is after Christmas, uh, before I play the um, uh, outro trailer, let me just see if I've got it here. Let's just say, send out our Colton Christmas message once more, play the outro, and then we'll end the show. So thank you, everybody, for contributing. Uh, let me just uh, ask them to say their goodbyes. So uh, as I see them on my list, uh, thanks very much, Darth. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Cheers. Uh, thank you very much, Benjamin. I think he's... Oh, we've lost him on audio. Mike? Yeah, thanks for having me. We look forward to next week's episode. And Charlie P79? Well, thanks for having me, Dave, and have a happy new year. Good, and I voted for Saxon. Thank you. See, see you guys next time. Happy new year. And here's our Christmas message one more time. Hello, everybody. It's that time again. It's time for the Cult of Collective Podcast Christmas Message. This year, we're doing it in 3D. <laughs> I've got three bottles lined up. I don't know about you. I've got three wine glasses. I bet Mike's got three mince pies lined up. Mm, pie. There you go. <laughs> what more could you ask for? It's Dave with his bottles, me with my glasses, and Mike with his pies. Bye. 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 Merry Christmas, everybody, from the Colton Collective Podcast and from Mr. Dave AC. And from uh, Mr. Mike Randolph, and from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. See, we're full circle.
We three kings of Orient are one in the track, one in the car, one in the scooter, two in the scooter, following on the star. Oh, star, wonderful. Sorry, I'm too drunk to laugh. Was this the best way to do a Christmas message? Because the one who's sober here is Mike. Save us, Mike. Save us from the drunken Christmas message. <laughs> it helps if you speak, Mike. Yeah. Perhaps it does. <laughs> See, you got it quiet again. What happened? He's got a mouthful of pie. Mince pies. Mince pie. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince pie. <laughs> and he loves pie. Indeed I do. So there's nothing more to say then. It's Merry Christmas from Mr. Randolph. And it's Merry Christmas from Dave AC. And as well as a Merry Christmas from Ian, it's a Merry Christmas from all the Colton Collective. We wish season's greetings to all the other podcasts out there. We know you're out there, other podcasts. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yes, I finally resigned myself. There are other podcasts out there. Merry Christmas, everybody! And a Happy New Year. Can we just play last year's, Ian? There you go. That'll work. Merry Christmas to all of you. Now I screwed that up now, because <laughs> I actually had it right the first time. What did I say? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> See, this is how these things go, Dave. This is what you're gonna. I mean, Mike, Mike, Dave, Mike, Mike, Dave, Dave, Mike, Mike, Dave, Dave. What? And a happy new year. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.